Hello everyone, welcome to yet another episode of That's My Jam Stack. I'm your host Brian Robinson and this will be the last regular episode of the year. We'll be back to official episodes in the new year, but we'll be tidying you over with a special holiday slate of episodes where various guests from this past year will be talking about their thoughts on the Jamstack in 2020. This week though, we have the COO of a company called Digital Cube. He's a self-taught web developer and a Jamstack enthusiast. I'm very pleased to have on the show Daniel Olson. I'm also pleased to have back this week our sponsor, TakeShape. You can hear more about their content platform after the episode or head over to takeshape.io slash that's my Jamstack for more information. So, uh, so Daniel, thanks for being on the show with us today. It's a pleasure. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? That sort of thing. Uh, I'm the chief operating officer at Digital Cube. Uh, I get to work on all the products we develop and travel a bit, uh, sharing some of the work that we do. Uh, one of those products I work on is called Shifter. It's a static site generator for WordPress, and some might say it's a serverless hosting platform. Uh, another product I get to work on is called Amimoto. Uh, it's a managed uh, WordPress hosting solution built for enterprise. Um, we're only limited to the options that AWS can offer us, which is a lot. Uh, but my, my role is a bit of a variety show. Uh, like many companies in the growing Jamstack community, we wear many hats. Uh, most days I work on MVPs and do feature development. And the way I like to do that is through customer feedback. So my kind of my main jam is finding gaps where our products don't like cover and then building solutions with the designers and engineers around that. Cool. And so, so what do you do outside of work? What's your, what's your favorite thing to do when you're, when you're off? What do I do? Uh, also a bit of a variety show. Um, I'm, I'm like, uh, in the kitchen a lot. I, I make a lot of food. Um, I like to uh, dine out and like you know try different foods. I'm a I'm a, also a big beer guy. Uh, I run like a beer website on the side, and that's kind of my life is around like you know t- enjoying taste. So if there's something to like something new to try, like if when I when I travel a lot, uh, my coworkers like to like push the boundaries a little bit. And they'll try to get me to eat like strange things, but it never really works out because I always <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> so, so what is the uh, what's your what's your favorite cuisine that uh, that you've tried? So, uh, um, maybe all right. So, don't hate me. Maybe some of these uh, vegetarian <laughs> listeners might be upset, but uh, I did go to when I was in Japan with my coworkers after a meetup. Uh, someone asked me if I liked sashimi, which yes, I love sashimi. Um, but we were in Fukuoka, which I didn't realize that sashimi has lots of different meanings. And uh, I've learned that in Fukuoka, sashimi could mean uh, raw horse meat, which is Ooh. pretty like common uh, in Japan and in certain regions. So, um, you, know, you know, I'm game. If everyone says it's good, <laughs> I'll give it a try. And I was very impressed. I learned a ton about this, like, you know, like food category I never really knew anything about or I thought I knew about. Um, but I would go back like in a heartbeat. I would love to do that again. Interesting. Interesting. That, that surprised me. You caught me off guard with that one. Yeah. And you can't eat all of it. There's certain, there's certain pieces, uh, certain cuts that must be grilled and some of them you can, or you don't have to. So like they basically bring out like a, like a grill mm-hmm. and you can you know use chopsticks and you just give it like a little bit of heat, uh, for some of the pieces, some of the sausages you have to cook thoroughly. Uh, but most of it you can eat with, um, you know, ginger or, or rice or uh, like pickled vegetables. Um, it's it's a I think it's a good experience if you're if you have the opportunity. I recommend it. Interesting, cool. 
Uh, so obviously not not a food podcast, uh, more of a more of a tech podcast here. So let's uh, let's talk about your uh, your enjoyment of static sites of the Jamstack. What was your entry point into this kind of philosophy of building sites? Uh, it's kind of a funny story. Um, my introduction to static sites was at uh, I worked at a, a branding agency for a number of years, and we we're a pretty small team. One of the other developers I worked with, um, he was you know kind of more familiar with the static sites and the static site generators that were out there. And he'd tell me about them and, you know, we were a WordPress shop. So uh, thinking about, you know, the, the value or, you know, what the clients would need, um, it was always really difficult for me to, you know, jump ship and recommend that to our clients because at the end of the day, they're the ones who have to live with these sites and edit them and, you know, help like grow them. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, writing Markdown, uh, using like, a non-familiar CMS backend uh, other than WordPress was kind of a hard sell, but um, we it still was in the back of my mind. But one, I went to a conference in, in Philadelphia where I'm from, and I met this uh, group of you know Japanese developers, and they were working on this uh, interesting product, and they introduced it to me as a third wave. Um, they were like, "This is this is going to be the future," and they kept trying to explain it to me, and I didn't quite get it. And I didn't actually really understand it until like a year after. Um, but what they were trying to do was to bring some of the uh, approaches that static site, static site generators were doing um, to the WordPress community and like bridging that gap. And uh, it, it didn't click at first and it really made no sense to me because it was explained as the third wave. But, <laughs> but uh, it makes total sense in hindsight now. So that, that was my first introduction. It was like I was kind of... Like I fell into it, but I also was like living amongst it for for years, not really paying attention to it. Definitely. And so, so with the with that, what they were doing was that before WordPress had the API stuff, was that before you could go headless with WordPress, or was that they were doing their own thing around that? It was it was kind of alongside. So there was uh, these you know two communities within the WordPress um, ecosystem at that time, and it was people who were developing. You know, they're like power users. They're using plugins to do things. They're doing theme development. And then there's this other track where, you know, there are a group of developers who are really trying to push uh, the boundaries of what WordPress can do just as a blogging tool, like they're using it as a full featured CMS. And that was when Headless really kind of took off. The REST API was getting a lot of attention. Uh, some of these other projects um, uh, and even plugins were, were using the REST API. But it's, I think I call them the, like their technology magic tricks, like... <laughs> yes, it works. And then like you build a little demo and then let's see how far we can take this magic trick. And like you build out these incredibly large sites using WordPress completely headless, but it's really just, you know, an extension of that first demo. Like, are you doing anything different? It's just the implementation. But when I learned about the, uh, the project that these guys were working on, it was totally different. It was kind of a mix between the two. Um, yes, we want to give users the same experience that they're familiar with um, in the back end, but we also want to deliver the benefits that these other ideas can offer, like the benefits that Jamstack has or the benefits that Headless has. So it, it was like kind of a, a cross between the two, um, but it was the WordPress REST API that actually enabled it. True. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so uh, would it be fair to say that that kind of this idea of of WordPress headless is where is where you kind of got into everything? Yeah, yeah, and it was um, you know we at the agency I worked at we built a lot of just you know demo sites and and like little product sites for clients and 
it at the time it was like a total experiment you couldn't even do it natively in wordpress it was an extension like you had to install a plugin to enable the rest api it was that early and now it's a part of core and we talk about it it's you know this ubiquitous thing that you know everyone's familiar with it if you're in this community but at the time it was like what is rest what <laughs> what does that mean and yeah so it's I, you know i'm it feels good to be a part of something that i've got to see grow over time cool and so uh so i'm kind of curious about about headless wordpress i've only i've done magic tricks with it that's about as far as i've gone into that world for uh for for wordpress in the Jamstack. Uh, what are some uh, some challenges y'all been overcoming? What are some uh, some things to, for people to kind of be aware of if they start playing with this idea? So headless WordPress is I would consider that it's its own category. Um, in the the work that I do in kind of the world that I live in within like the development community, there's it's really three distinct categories. Uh, so you have like traditional WordPress, uh, which is what you know people are familiar with that, and then you have headless WordPress, which is you know decoupled. Um, you're building you know, your Jamstack site and using WordPress as your CMS or backend. And then you have static WordPress, which is kind of a in-between. Um, so we're using WordPress as a static site generator. Um, so it's, that's like its own special category. You're, you're not converting uh, or building a new site using WordPress as your backend. You're using WordPress itself and generating the static site from that uh, that site itself. It's not, there's no developer tools involved. Um, it's just native WordPress. Oh, interesting. So, so instead of like a cache, you're ending, you're, you're building it in your build step from the actual WordPress files on a Linux server. Yeah. So it's actually, um, the way that we do it is the, the approach is serverless. So the end result, the way that it's delivered, um, and the product itself is built as serverless. So we we're using, uh, um, AWS Lambda. So we're, we're an uh, AWS advanced technology partner. Um, so about 50% of our team are just AWS engineers who have a deep understanding of um, those technologies and the infrastructure. And then about the other half are WordPress developers. So we work really tightly together to develop solutions that take advantage of what AWS has to offer and kind of leverage all those capabilities for WordPress. It's not, there's like, there's two ways to do WordPress and AWS. You run WordPress just as a layer on top and it's just there. And then, or you could actually kind of integrate it into those services and just get a lot more of opportunity, a lot more power out of it. Um, but the, the way that we're doing it is we use the WordPress REST API, which like I said, it was basically, that was the catalyst that made this possible. Um, the WordPress REST API, the way that we use it, uh, we use that to get, to get a list of links from the WordPress site. So we we can like at a quick glance see every page that exists by hitting a certain REST API path. And then we pass that to AWS Lambda, uh, which then queues up a list of URLs to crawl. And then it crawls each URL, saves it to an S3 bucket, and that gets served with CloudFront. So at, at the very you know basic level, that's kind of how it works. Very interesting. And so you've, um, you're, you're still using like WordPress's own templates and all that, right? Yeah, so if you want to use the same, same themes and plugins, you are free to use those as long as they, uh, there's certain exceptions like contact form plugins. Um, they mm -hmm. naturally, <laughs> in the WordPress world, they want to post data back to the WordPress database, which mm -hmm. at that point in time, 
doesn't exist because you've now created a static site and WordPress is no longer in the picture. Uh, but there are some like opportunities and shims that exist. Uh, one of the I developed a couple plugins um, that will swap out like action URLs uh, within forms to send those to third parties, whether it's you know Jamstack friendly like forms as a service sites like a form spree or um, form kit or basin or even Netlify forms. Yeah, interesting. So I, one, one of the things I've always wondered about headless, headless WordPress is the idea that if you're using WordPress headless and you're doing it like with your own static site generator on the side, you're really getting like 25%, maybe 30% of the benefit of WordPress. But it sounds like y'all are closer to like 75, 80% of all the benefits of WordPress. Because uh, I, was, I was always like, why would you ever use headless WordPress if you're only getting a small portion of the benefit of it? Yeah, and I see that too. And uh, having like really like dived into the Jamstack ecosystem and seeing the tools that are out there, it's still growing. Um, there's still mm -hmm. a lot of room to uh, for it to mature. And there, you know, like things like Gatsby, the plugin ecosystem is is like booming. There's you know there's a lot of stuff out there, but there's still more stuff in the WordPress world. Uh, so yeah. I get why people still want to use it. Like the theme themes are one thing, but also plugins. Like mm -hmm. having the opportunity to just search the plugin directory of the fifty thousand plus. Uh, plugins that exist, there's going to be some solution in there for whatever problem you need. And most of the time it will work in that scenario, like even as a headless option. Uh, if it's a popular plugin, they probably have developed uh, REST um, like paths for it mm -hmm. uh, to interact with it in a headless manner. Yeah. But even then, like if you're, if you're interacting with it in a headless manner, you then have to build that functionality into your templates unless you're using WordPress as its own static site generator at that point. Yeah, yeah, and in that case, you just use it natively how you want to, uh, you know, experience it naturally in the WordPress <laughs> world, and then you just click a button, and then we crawl your site, generate a static version, and then power down WordPress. Awesome. Uh, so, so would it be fair to say the headless uh, WordPress is kind of your jam in the Jamstack, or do you have any other like products or uh, tools, services, philosophies that you're really digging right now? Um, I was introduced to. Uh, it's kind of funny. It's like it's a feature that we developed, but I didn't really get much use out of it personally um, until a customer had a very unique request, and it was the integration between um, our product and Netlify's webhooks. Huh. And I started to to use Netlify's webhooks uh, just so you can basically build your static WordPress site on Shifter, and you can deploy it to Netlify. So if there's like you know, I want to use Netlify Forms, I want to use Netlify Analytics, I want to use their basic auth, or I have another application and I want to keep all of my sites in one place, you can do that. But one of the things that I didn't really dive into was their build tools. So when, when you do the webhooks and you can customize the Netlify builds, you can get like really granular with all the different things that happen during your build runtime. And I like, I don't know why I just never really got into that, but I, one day I just kind of spent all day reading about it and, you know, learning about it and testing it. And I was like blown away by all the options that they have in there. It's kind of, it's a, it's a hidden gem. Like I recommend spending a little time reading about it. Well, and nowadays they even have uh, the ability to plug into, uh, into the build process. They have uh, variables you can set up to do a whole bunch of stuff that they're testing out um, right now that's in beta. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of amazing, like, fun stuff that's going on and also the forms and the way the analytics work is like it's 
like analytics is such a difficult thing for a lot of uh, web developers because of ad blockers and like proxies mm -hmm. and networks. But if you're running your analytics like Netlify does, um, ba based on like the server stats itself, like you like you're making a connection to this site whether you blocked an ad script or not. That yep. analytics uh, reporting tool is still going to measure all that data. It's not going to give you like as much as um, something like a Google, Google Analytics that you're allowing to track you, mm -hmm. um, but it's still a, a valuable tool for developers and even like, um, you know, like if to run your business, like what's going on in my application, you can cost optimize and, and see what's really happening. And doesn't affect front end performance, which is great too. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that happens naturally. That data is logged anyway for the server itself. So, you know, just providing access to it is, it's crazy that like it's there providing access to it. It now has become a product. <laughs> Yep. Oh yeah. 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 That's, uh, you gotta find ways to, to monetize and keep the, keep the doors open. I want Netlify yeah. RAM for a long time. Yeah. And keep, keep your, uh, customers happy. Exactly. Um, cool. So, uh, so what's going to keep you in the jam stack? What's obviously it's employing you right now, which is great, but like, uh, what's that core philosophy that you're going to dig into in the next couple of years? Uh, I am a, my, my core philosophy is the rule of least power. Mm. Um, I think that, uh, a lot of times we, you know, hit solutions with a hammer instead of like figuring out a different approach. Like every problem is a, is a nail, yep. but the, uh, the idea of applying Jamstack as like an approach, um, is really appealing to me because it focuses on something that I also really appreciate and that's design thinking. Um, so rather than just applying a solution or, you know, throwing more power at something or making it like overly complicated, um, Jamstack can can be quite elegant um, because it's using only the things that you need. So um, as opposed to what, you know, like WordPress is traditionally uh, a monolith. It comes with a lot of things that you don't necessarily need or may ever use. Mm -hmm. um, but Jamstack is like, all right, I'm building this site. I need comments. Just add the comments you need. Um, I need e-commerce. All right, now I'm just going to add e-commerce. Um, but you don't need uh, other features. They don't exist. You didn't build them. Um, and that's what I love about the, the Jamstack community is it gives us the opportunity to pick and choose uh, and kind of build exactly what we need. Nice. I, I actually, the, the rule of least power is one of my guiding principles. I actually wrote a blog post uh, about a year ago on it. It's one of my favorite things that came out of the development of HTML and, uh, and, the, and the web. Yeah, and like I always uh, kind of... Um, I always get stuck like whenever there's a new app or new tool out there, I'm like, yeah, but like this thing does it, but also there's no UI for it and it runs faster. <laughs> yep. And I, I like, I'm just kind of geeking out over that stuff. Like, like hyper, uh, like West boss's, um, JavaScript courses. He uses hyper a lot. And like, I love looking at it. it hyper is like a beautiful terminal, but also it runs JavaScript and like, it kind of takes a lot longer to open than just like my terminal with, nothing in it so um, that's like those are my daily struggles <laughs> the, the the new cool versus eh, what's the most efficient for you yeah yeah don't go overboard just use what you need and and get the job done it's also i think it's good for me because uh i i work with a lot of customers too on their servers and like if you're logging into a server you don't have the, the luxuries of your like your customized bash scripts and uh these you know, like pretty UIs, like you just have to know what you're doing and like just kind of using the basic tools to get the job done is, has really paid off for me. It's, it's taught me a lot. 
having the same tool set everywhere definitely makes it easier when things go wrong in the non-fancy places. Yeah, I, I sometimes I think of it as like a little form of torture for myself just because <laughs> I'm not giving myself like an advantage, but um, it's it pays off in the long run. Definitely. All right, so uh, so let's let's talk music. Uh, what's your actual jam right now? What what musician or song or type of music are you really into right now? Uh, my my musical tastes vary throughout the day. Some days I'll wake up listening to like Wilco on all my Alexa devices, um, just blasting throughout the house. And then maybe by lunch, I'll be listening to like Lil Wayne's The Carter 3. And I'll just have like Genius up, like the website Genius, and just I'm picking apart all the rap lyrics. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I, uh, the thing that I really enjoy right now is, uh, and it's the perfect background noise for me, it's this thing called Poolside FM. And there's a website for it. I, I think it's just poolside.fm, but it's, uh, it's a website that kind of looks super 80s and it plays music videos and also music along with it. The, but the music videos are like clips, like old VHS random clips, almost like uh, everything is terrible. Uh, but I don't know. It's just like the perfect background noise when you're like coding or just need something on while you're cleaning the house. And I've, I, they, they never show like the what's playing. Or actually, I listen to it on my Alexa, but they never show what's playing. So I'm always like asking my phone like what song is this <laughs> <laughs> adds a little mystery to your life yeah yeah cool so uh is there anything that you would like to to promote that you're doing right now that you want to get out in the jam sack world um actually i want to give a shout out to to phil hawksworth from netlify about uh i want to like throw back to one of your previous episodes and something he said uh that it's it's funny when i listen to the episode i i've said the same thing in like a couple talks and it just resonated with me. So I want to call it out again. Uh, he, he said something, he's very careful about using the phrase static sites. And I, I totally agree with that. And the reason that I, I agree with that is um, one of my favorite sites, jamstack.org, uh, which is kind of like a manifesto for me. Um, it's like, we are the Jamstack party. This is what we believe. <laughs> uh, but the most important part of that website is what it actually does not mention. It doesn't mention any specific frameworks. Um, it completely focuses on best practices. And if you search the site uh, for the word static, it only appears once. And it says, pro I'm pretty sure it says probably static. <laughs> so it's like kind of just like, you know, going back to it. This is not, it's, we're not purists. This is an approach. It's a philosophy. Um, and then it's a way to build something better. But yeah, that's kind of that's uh that's I just wanted to mention that. But yeah, I don't really I don't really have anything to promote. Like we we have we're in the WordPress community, um but we're kind of like we we straddle those two things like uh the WordPress and Jamstack. Um but I I just think that uh the WordPress community and also the Jamstack community has a lot to learn from each other. Um I think that jamstack.org is a good place to start. I think that really focusing on the approach rather than the tools um, is something that is really important that you should do and that you can learn a lot from. And also just talk to other developers, see what they got going on, see what problems they have to solve. Maybe you can help them. Maybe your experience is valuable. Yeah. And, and we, we all kind of have different problems and we got to find the right solutions for them no matter what the stack is. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the WordPress world, like I, I'm, I've developed plugins and some of the plugins that I've developed... Uh, I try to, to build them so that they work in both environments, uh, whether 
you know, you're running on uh, Shifter and we create a static site from that, uh, from that site uh, using WordPress. Um, but you can also build that plugin so that it can work natively in a native WordPress like hosting environment. And I've learned that building something that applies to both types of like hosting platforms, um, it actually just makes it more performant overall. And like, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be static, but the way that you've built it, it could be static and the end result is just more performance. So why not build it this way anyway? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with us and uh, I hope you keep doing some amazing stuff on the Jamstack. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. All right. It's sponsor time. I want to talk today about a specific feature in TakeShape, which is our sponsor uh, for this episode. And that's the API Explorer. Inside your TakeShape dashboard, you'll find the Explorer, and it's a really great tool uh, for, for a GraphQL novice like myself, but it also has lots of great features built in, uh, like some autocomplete, built-in documentation. It makes it really incredibly easy to find all the pieces of data that you want to include in a GraphQL query. And then it's gonna build that query for you and it's a simple copy and paste away from your static site generator. So it makes it really, really easy to interact with TakeShape's API. They have a lot of other great functionality as well. You should definitely go and check them out. And you can do that by hitting up takeshape.io slash that's my jamstack. I also wanna thank our guest Daniel again and thank all the amazing listeners in the Jamstack community. Remember, if you're enjoying this podcast, give it a star, a heart, an upvote, or a review in your podcast app of choice to help new folks find their way to listening in. And with that, we're going to see you in the new year, but I hope you keep doing amazing things in the Jamstack.